The global green transition is often a conversation about the commitments and technologies needed to limit our CO2 emissions, the rise in global temperatures, and the damage to the environment. But it's equally crucial to discuss that the necessary solutions need to be financed to be realized. While the financial sector itself has a small direct carbon footprint, it plays a critical role in mobilizing the capital needed to reach our international climate targets. And in Denmark, both private and public financial actors are showing how it can be done. You're listening to Sound of Green, a podcast from State of Green. Each episode, we invite experts and stakeholders to convey Danish perspectives on the given challenge of the global green transition. Through decades of experience, Denmark has turned many of these challenges into opportunities. By sharing these experiences, we hope to help you do the same. In this episode, we explore why it's not just imperative, but also lucrative to invest in the global green transition. It's not exactly news that the world urgently needs to transform energy systems and reduce CO2 emissions, increase climate resilience, and protect biodiversity to secure a sustainable and livable planet. What's sometimes forgotten, though, is that these needs come with a hefty initial price tag. It's estimated that the financing needs per year by 2030 to address these challenges will be between 2 and 2.8 trillion US dollars. That number is almost the equivalent of India's entire GDP that we must find a way to channel into global climate action each year in the near future. And those are staggering numbers. And, and so we need a lot of money to, to address the severe climate consequences standing on our doorstep right now. And that requires that we think differently about how we do things. This is Jakob Tull. He's a chief advisor in international finance at the Danish Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And as he explains, this need to rethink how we do financing stems from the fact that our current global financial system still favors fossil energy. I mean, if you took all the fossil subsidies in the world, you could finance the SAG gap easily and still have a party afterwards. So I think there is a challenge in terms of, I mean, one thing is that we can incentivize a lot of things in what we do, but we need also to look into global framework conditions. I mean, what are the, uh, let's just call it perverse incentives that exist in terms of, of uh, not moving from black to green. There's a lot that has to be done. In other words, a fundamental systemic transformation is required. However, those incentive structures that Jacob speaks of are slowly but surely starting to shift. Not least because of the growing realization that addressing climate change is one of the greatest commercial opportunities of our time a realization which Danish pension funds have long known to be true. Well, I think there's a huge development uh, going on here in the latest years where uh, the financial sector is really looking into renewables. Most uh, big, sophisticated investors today are either invested into renewables or really want to. It's a growing market, uh, which means that as a financial investor, it's also a growing market opportunity. 
for Pension Denmark, it's it's a natural part of our portfolio and has been for, for many years now. This is Rune Gadeholm. He's the head of private markets at Pension Denmark, one of Denmark's largest pension funds. The Danish insurance and pension industry manages approximately 535 billion euros, which is invested on behalf of Danish insurance and pension customers. It's one of the world's largest pension assets relative to the country's GDP. And Pension Denmark has led the way when it comes to directing that asset towards sustainable investments. Pension Denmark's venture into green financing, where we went directly into to green assets, started back in 2010. Back then, uh, interest rates were declining, and uh, we were looking for other places to uh, invest our money to get good yield, good returns. And uh, our first investment was made in a Danish offshore wind farm called Nystad. And back then, that was quite exotic, and that investment was the the first of its kind on a global scale where a financial investor went into the offshore wind sector. With that investment, Pension Denmark set in motion a movement wherein Danish pension funds have played a vital role in the development of the offshore wind industry, making unusually bold forays into offshore wind projects prior to their construction. These investments fundamentally reshaped the landscape of green financing, as Rone explains. So that was very important uh, for us and was a starting point for uh, not only for Pension Denmark, but I think for financial investors investing into renewables. Pension Denmark built upon that that transaction and and wanted to increase our scope and, and scale in renewables. The scope and scale reached new heights for the entire Danish pension industry in 2019. As the first national industry in the world, Danish pension funds made a collective pledge at the UN General Assembly to invest a total of 63 billion euros in clean energy technology by 2030. The latest progress report shows that the pension funds are well on track and Rune is confident that they'll fulfill their goal. It's a very ambitious pledge. And for now, uh, it looks like we are well on the way to to fulfill that pledge by 2030. And I don't see any reason why we, we shouldn't. We are on the right trajectory. And the the demand for for renewables is just increasing on a global scale. So we need to scale up. So it, there's a big investment opportunity out there. A prime example of what it looks like when that opportunity is seized is the Danish fund manager Copenhagen Infrastructure Partners also known as CIP. Since its founding in 2012, CIP has become one of the world's most sought-after investment firms for green energy and infrastructure projects. And one of the reasons why is that CIP directly links capital to project management, making them fully engaged in the realization and success of their investments. At one side, we are fund manager. Uh, raising money for investments in renewable energy infrastructure. But then we also, on the other hand, a developer. That means uh, what we do uh, for a living is uh, identifying projects, we develop projects, we construct projects, and then we operate uh, projects uh, before we divest. So an investment from CIP would uh, have a lifespan of something between 10 to 20 years, depending on what country and what market we're working in. This is Lars Geert Lose. CIP's Head of Global Project Public Affairs. CIP's project portfolio 
covers a broad range of green energy solutions, from offshore wind to energy storage to advanced bioenergy. Their different endeavors and markets are covered by 12 funds, each of which taps into certain explicit needs and trends in the energy transition. And this transparency is an important part of CIP's successful approach to green financing. We don't just raise money for a fund, which is kind of a black box, and you don't know what the money is going for, except it will be investments in renewable energy infrastructure. You can actually see the portfolio of projects we're working on, and which you will be investing in as an, uh, as an institutional investor in, in, in CIP. It also makes it easier for investors to explain what they're actually investing in uh, when they talk to their boards and their customers, uh, which would be pensioners from, from many of the, the, the institutional investors who invest in us. And I think that's important. Having attained a global leading position in green financing, CIP has a unique opportunity to significantly accelerate the transition towards a net zero emission scenario. And as Lars explains, that opportunity is a driving force in CIP's ambitions. We're also very ambitious, which is, I think, is one of the reasons why CIP is where we are. And we have a target of us as a company providing 1% of the CO2 emissions needed uh, to get to net zero by uh, by 2030. So that's a that's a, that's a high bar, <laughs> even in, in, in CIP. So we have a lot of work in front of us uh, in order to get there. This kind of commitment is also present among the players in the Danish public sector, working to mobilize private capital in a greener direction. That brings us back to Jakob Tvill from the Danish Ministry of Foreign Affairs. The ministry oversees the distribution of Denmark's official development aid budget, meant to promote the economic growth and welfare of developing countries. Money, which can be used strategically to support green development. The thing that keeps us busy on a daily basis in in, uh, in my department here is how do we make most out of our official development uh, assistance and how can we get private finance also to take part of that ambition to keep the world within the 1.5 degrees. Denmark has a development aid budget or official development aid just around 20 billion Danish kroners per year of which we're actually trying to uh, are working on has a have as a target that 35% of that should be labeled green. So in that sense we have just around 750 million US dollars per year that we target or channel into uh, to green initiatives. This effort to reform the use of development aid is crucial. Because as Jakob explains, the incentive structures that hamper private investments in green solutions are especially prevalent in the parts of the world where the effects of climate change are the most palpable. Private capital follows, you can say, predictable patterns in the sense that it would always look to uh, returns. And, and then if you look at some of the countries where the needs are most dire, Those are actually countries that have a very hard time attracting private finance. You see many of those countries, they have a risk rating, which makes it what's called a non-investment grade countries. And hence, it's very hard to mobilize private finance. The challenge that Jacob describes is further exacerbated by the fact that the most pressing need in these countries is climate adaptation solutions. And in many instances, The business case for adaptation is a hard sell to private investors because the immediate climate impact isn't easily measured in CO2 reductions. One thing is creating renewable uh, wind parks and, and, and financing, you can say, the mitigation agenda. 
the harder part is to look how do we increase resilience how do we increase vulnerable segments ability to to adapt to uh, to climate change and that part is hard because it's hard to measure and uh, that makes it hard to put a, a cash flow protection onto measuring adaptation and in that sense it makes it hard to finance so you can say thematically in itself it's difficult to find private finance for uh, resilience and adaptation projects in other words what jacob and his colleagues are fighting against is a perceived risk of investing in climate action and solutions this challenge is what unites the work that the danish ministry of foreign affairs cip and pension denmark all do in the green financing space so how are they working to change the narrative from one of risk to one of opportunity A key strategy for de-risking green investments is underscoring the diversifying and stabilizing effect that these investments can have. As Rune Gadeholm from Pension Denmark can attest to, including renewable energy investments in a portfolio can provide a hedge against volatility in other segments of the market. For financial investors, I think it it should be a natural part of a investment portfolio. What we've experienced is that it also has a diversifying effect uh, on your investment returns so you can have a down year in the listed stock market but maybe your renewables is doing fine and vice versa and we ex- experienced that um, through the, the later years at pension denmark so it actually has a stabilizing effect on our, our returns for cip the diversifying element is built into their business model because they cover such a broad geographical and technological range in their funds and projects. And in Lasker Lohse's experience, providing optionality helps to reassure investors. So so a big part of de-risking in CIP is actually optionality. You know, when you have the options to work across technologies, across uh, geographies, and then also having a very, very large seed portfolio projects, it just helps you a lot when you when you encounter problems in one market or in one industry you can kind of focus on other stuff uh, as well so we have a lot of optionality uh, which gives us uh, a lot of comfort and then de-risks our investors which are our customers so when we say we build a value that matters it's both in terms of co2 reducing co2 emissions but also in terms of uh, ensuring a rate of return for our investors uh, so they they get their money back and this optionality is a big part of how we uh, do our de-risking Here, Lars also points to another important component in de-risking green investments, which is to recognize their local and political nature. By immersing themselves in the local context of their projects, CIP can make sure that they create the best conditions for each project to be realized in spite of potential economic or political barriers. When you do large-scale infrastructure projects like we do in the energy space, uh, they are political in nature. Uh, so we really need to understand the context. We also insist on having a, a local team on the ground uh, in order to be as anchored as possible. And then we almost always work together with local partners, giving us a strong foothold in the market and a better understanding of the dynamics and, and, and how to work there. And so those projects will materialize and make a big difference out there. It's, ju- it's not just a commitment. Uh, it's concrete projects on the ground. So, so we actually have a kind of a bottom-up approach instead of a top-down approach when we do our investments. This commitment to local cooperation also enables a sharing of knowledge, which is crucial to ensure 
that learnings and successes are being anchored in local markets, which can propel future green investments in those markets, as Wonegill Hunt states. Normally, when you go out in markets far, far away from your home turf, it can be good to team up with other investors. So we've we've done that in different markets and it makes very, very good sense. And also, it, you are transferring knowledge to other investors to other markets so they can more or less live live on their own uh, in the future so we have increasing collaboration with international investors for the danish ministry of foreign affairs de-risking through transfers of knowledge is at the very heart of how they work to mobilize private capital in developing countries an example of this is a project in uganda where the ministry provided a local bank with funds for technical advisory services, which allowed them to understand and take on the financial risk of a climate adaptation initiative in agriculture. As Jakob Tvill explains, this kind of collaboration helps private investors to work with how they can internalize climate risks when they look at projects. In this project, we also work with the capital market and, and try and have banks understand the importance for them also as lenders to understand and unbox, you can say, what is uh, adaptation and resilience and what does it mean to their portfolio. And hopefully that knowledge can also help bring down the high cost of borrowing, which you will normally see in, in, in those countries. Importantly, such efforts must also be targeted at a global scale, both in terms of disseminating knowledge about the importance and possibilities of investing sustainably, but also in terms of enabling asset managers to take the initiative to develop green financial innovations at a large scale themselves. Another thing I think that's important in terms of, of mobilizing private capital is, is uh, looking into who are actually people sitting on, on the money here. And of course, you have, uh, you have big asset managers around the world. How can you help them also look into or, or make them conscious about uh, working with this? Historically, you will see asset managers coming to DFIs, coming to us with ideas on, on funds that they would like to raise. We're trying to flip things around here in terms of, of actually making a call for proposal to asset managers where we'd like them to come up with ideas on how we can work with adaptation finance in Africa. Although Danish actors within financing are adamant about the opportunities of investing in green projects, they're also very familiar with the challenges that investors are facing beyond the de-risking of concrete solutions. Perhaps none is bigger than navigating the complex regulatory frameworks that inevitably surround and impact all green efforts, as Rune Gilhunt from Pension Denmark states. One of the most important and vital things in the build-out of renewables is the regulatory landscape. So when we look at new opportunities, that is maybe the most important point. Um, how attractive is the incentive programs in it, uh, in different markets? How is the regulatory framework? Is it good? Is it stable? And uh, and that that's very critical for an offshore wind project, for example. It often takes around 10 years from from start to finish, and and that's a long, long uh, lead time. And for investors, if you um, go into uh, such a big project over such a long time, you need to be very sure that the regulatory framework is uh, is good and, and stable. This is especially true for projects that involve multiple green technologies, 
as they're often governed by different unaligned regulations, as Lat Gerd Lose from CIP explains. Especially when we talk about integrated energy system, if you want to look at renewables at scale, where you both have the wind, you have the transmission, you have the power tracks, you have the battery storage, because that kind of hits different parts of the public sector, right? There's a different regulations in place for all these kind of technologies, and it's not really coordinated right now. So, so we do spend a lot of time trying to make ends meet on the regulatory side uh, to get these projects off the ground, uh, and that's probably the biggest hurdle that we see. This hurdle is absolutely crucial to overcome because it's a key puzzle piece in bridging the gap between political ambitions, green solutions, and the flow of capital. The political ambitions have never been as high as they are today, uh, especially after Ukraine. You've seen the targets set in in Europe. You've seen the targets of tripling renewable energy set at the, at the COP28. So the political targets are really there. And then at the bottom, you have all the private capital that is needed to do this investment. It's there. I mean, CIP is a, an example of that it's really there. And you have the technologies needed. What we need is a, is a link between you know, capital, technology and projects and political ambitions, which is a regulatory framework. And that is still super difficult to get your head around. It takes time. The issue of regulation is also at the top of the agenda at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, who, in collaboration with other ministries, are working both at a political level and a technical level to support the creation of regulatory frameworks that enable green transformation across the globe. It's an agenda that we uh, drive at a political level in international negotiations. From a technical level, we, through our embassies and through the line ministries we have in Denmark, we have strategic sector advisors based on embassies working close with national ministries and units also in themes such as energy and uh, water and climate. So the idea is to bring some of the expertise we have in Denmark, work at a technical level, also discuss framework conditions. So what are the must-haves if you have ambitions in terms of uh, the water sector, in terms of the energy sector, what kind of regulation must be in place? The challenge of creating good framework conditions for green development reflects the need for public and private actors to come together and engage in a common dialogue. As Lars Gerdlose states, Denmark's experience with public-private partnership presents a model of how to bridge the gap between pledges and action. And public-private partnerships are just essential uh, in, in making this work. I th- actually think that Denmark has shown the way in some respects with public-private partnership, the, the, the climate partnership, I think it was called, uh, where you brought in uh, the business to work together with decision makers, both the administrative side and on the regulatory side and, and on the political side, to make sure how, how do we actually ensure that this will be implemented on the ground. And I think that's that's the way to go. We need a, an even closer relationship when doing these projects. We've previously done an episode about the Danish climate partnerships. And one of those partnerships was between the government and the financial sector. The partnership resulted in new insights, data and investment opportunities and ultimately identified the most relevant financial instruments and initiatives to best support green development. The Danish approach to public-private partnership within green financing is also creating real impact beyond Danish borders. And as Jakob Tvill explains, it's efforts like these that can fundamentally change the landscape of green financing globally. One good example could be that our uh, development financial institution, IFU, uh, the Investment Fund for Developing Countries, has on several occasions raised uh, private capital together with Danish institutional investors. And that means that 
your pension savings, my pension savings have actually gone into an SDG fund with the purpose of doing climate, uh, mainly climate projects in emerging markets and developing countries. So in that sense, you can say the state and the private uh, sector uh, institutional investors here, they go uh, hand in hand and take joint risk on, on markets, which are otherwise difficult and historically have been difficult for uh, asset managers to, uh, to invest in. Back in 2010, when Pension Denmark made that pioneering investment in the Danish wind industry, they took a chance on what was then an alternative investment. Now, almost 15 years later, Onegel Holm can confidently say that they feel supported by their members and are excited to continue investing in the green solutions of tomorrow. What we've learned over the last plus 10 years is that Usually, it does pay off to be at the forefront of the development. We feel a huge support from our members in our approach to to um, renewables and that we also have the, let's say, audacity to try to invest into new technologies. We feel a very positive response and at times they will ask us, why not more? What's What's coming next? When asked that very question of what comes next, Onegel Holm is quick to point to energy islands as one of Pension Denmark's next green ventures. We believe that uh, the concept of energy islands could, could be a part of, of that, that future. That's why we just recently announced that we've invested into a company called Copenhagen Energy Islands. And it's a newly, newly established company that are dedicated to developing energy island projects around the globe. They have around uh, 10 projects in the pipeline today and all over the world. And we think it holds great promise to to develop these kinds of projects. The energy infrastructure of tomorrow will look different than, than today. You'll probably see a lot of integrated energy hubs where you have power generation assets alongside Power2x. Copenhagen Energy Islands is a company established as a carve-out of CIP. As Lars Gert Blose explains, The new company is part of a broader effort to shift the thinking around energy systems from single entities to integrated systems, which can deliver the energy and synergies needed to power the net zero transition. Because Energy Islands is basically an integrated energy system where you harvest offshore wind at large scale uh, and then combine it with power to X production on the island uh, Uh, getting that hydrogen, green hydrogen, uh, to shore, uh, where it can be used for all kinds of things, uh, while at the same time producing electricity. And and there you can kind of harvest the, the, the synergies and, and the, the ways of balancing the power production as well. So that 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 will, in our mind, be the next big thing we need to go for. For Jakob Tvill at the Danish Ministry of Foreign Affairs, he hopes that the future of green financing sees even more institutional investors be inspired by the Danish approach to public-private collaboration. I would really like to see pension funds uh, from other countries or CDFIs from other countries being able to convince their pension funds to venture into similar types of collaboration. Denmark, we will never be the biggest ones in in, uh, in what we do, but I, I do hope to think that we can stay on the forefront on, on, uh, on what we do also. I think you see more and more institutional investors go into emerging markets on investments that were exotic if you wind back seven years 
which are more plug and play today. And in that sense, you can say, I prefer to think that, that the Danish state and our DFI have actually uh, paved the way also for some of those funds actually to act on their own initiative today, which I think is fabulous. To be sure, Danish financial actors can't drive the transformation of our global financial system alone. But they can and will continue to push back against the notion that green investments are somehow less attractive. The reality is that green investments are both good business and absolutely necessary for a sustainable future. Of course, you should invest into renewables first. It's a natural part of our investment portfolio. And it's not an other or. So when we look at investing into renewables, we hold it up to the same standards as, as any other investments that we, we might do. We require the same returns. Um, we do the same diligence. Our members feel great pride in the fact that we've helped to push the, push the green agenda. So uh, in, in that sense, it's really been a, I would say, threefold uh, win for us, uh, both in terms of the returns we could create, the green, um, the climate impact that we've uh, been able to to produce and and uh, our members being being very happy and, and proud about um, them co- contributing to to that agenda we need more investments to do this i mean when you look at the figures from the international energy agency the amount of capital needed uh, to to ensure these investments going forward uh, are enormous and uh, 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 that really needs to go up. Again, I think CIP is an example that this can be done and there is an appetite for these kind of investments out there, but we need more uh, investors uh, active in this space as well. And and for to all these investors, I will also say that this is not just about CO2 emissions. Uh, the returns are also really, really good. And we've shown that over the years that uh, it's, it's, it's good business to invest in, 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 in clean energy uh, around the world. And uh, that will only go up as we scale up as we go forward. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sound of Green. We want to give a special thanks to Rone Gelholm from Pension Denmark, Lars Gert Lose from Copenhagen Infrastructure Partners, and Jakob Tvede from the Danish Ministry of Foreign Affairs. For more knowledge on the Danish approach to green financing, you can download our publication, Financing the Green Transition, through the link that we've put in the episode notes. On our website, you can dive deeper into Denmark's experiences with creating a sustainable society and connect with the solution providers that make it possible.